Giddy up, partners. In today's episode, we're going to talk about figuring out how to be more original Star Trek than original Star Trek. <laughs> about Enterprise, episode nine of season three, North Star, which dropped on November 12th, 2003. Welcome, one and all, to Trek in Time. You should know by now, if you're a regular viewer, that what we're doing is we're talking about every episode of Star Trek in chronological order. And we're also talking about the context that the episodes originally broadcast in. So that means right now we're talking about season three of Enterprise, and therefore we are in 2003 in reality. <laughs> I guess you could say that. As far as who are we, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a published author. I write some stuff for kids. I write some sci-fi. And with me is my brother, Matt. Matt is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. And Matt, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Pretty well. How about you? Get into the regular routine of the comments and moving on. Just kind of like big picture. Kind of a spoiler. What did you think about today's episode? I, uh, yeah. I did not like, <laughs> I'll just say that yeah. it's kind of a wild ride and there were 12 horses used in the filming of this episode. So it was probably a wild ride for the actors as well, <laughs> but we'll get into that in a minute. First, as usual, we like to share comments from previous episodes. Matt, do you want to dive into the comments? Sure. From episode 57, the shipment that we did which was with the Zindi were helping the captain kind of subvert like the shipment of like the stuff that was going to be needed for the big, big, big weapon they're trying to stop. Lambert Rodney said, Star Trek, the next generation chain of command. How many lights? RIP David Warner. Warner mm -hmm. and Stewart first worked together in a production of Hamlet in 1965. Warner praised Stewart, who was in his early Shakespearean career at the time. I thought that was just nice. I, I didn't realize they had worked together earlier. And I just like that because it's, it's, it's interesting to see that there's kind of familiarity among some of the actors that had, uh, been on Star Trek with Stuart, other actors yeah. like that. It's also interesting. The, can, the layers there yeah. are, are, are many too. There's, uh, another connection like that, which is Christopher Plummer yeah. was in a production of Hamlet when he was younger and his understudy was William Shatner. And the two of them <laughs> would go on in a yeah. course in, episode in uh star trek six to be foils for each other in that and and the interesting overlapping of all these career lines and how they work together so many times throughout their career and you wouldn't think that but yeah, yeah i was very sad to hear about david warner's passing i was immediately upon hearing it i know you know there were four lights this is a great episode and you know it's one of the best but for me, he will always be Sark from Tron. That was, oh, yeah. that yeah. was for me as a kid seeing Tron and that character in particular, uh, that was the imprint that was made on my, my, uh, brain. Yep. The other comment was from regular commenter, pale ghost 69. And he wrote on the last episode armchair. Am I doing this right? It's what the captions told me to say, because <laughs> you've, you've been telling people to say certain things in the comments. <laughs> I just want to applaud pale ghost for this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, pale ghost. Thank you for that. My mangling of the word archer. Yes. Yes. Made it difficult okay. for yeah. people to know what to do. 
we use automated uh, captions to generate the captions. And so it took what you said. And turned it into well, that's just gross. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Captions. We'll see what that's turned into. And that noise in the background, that's, I don't want anybody at home to panic, but that's the read alert, which when we hear that, that means it's time to dive into the Wikipedia description for the show. Matt, take it away and best of luck. Okay. I struggle with these. North Star is the 61st episode of the American science fiction television series, Star Trek Enterprise, the ninth episode of the third season. It first aired on November 12th, 2003 on UPN. The episode was written by David A. Goodman and directed by David Strayton. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet Starship Enterprise. Registration, NX-01. Important information to always keep in every description. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised they didn't describe what UPN is. (laughs) In this episode, the crew of the Enterprise discover a lost colony of humans in the Delphic Expanse. The colony originated from a wagon train from the American Old West in the 1860s, which was abducted as slave labor by an alien race called the Skagarans. The humans overthrew the Skagarans and now treat them as a second-class citizen. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. As Matt just mentioned, this is from season three, episode nine, directed by David Strayton. Not his, it, this is actually his, not his first episode directing, but it is his first of the season. And David A. Goodman has been a regular writer. This is the writer that will remember got his way into writing for Star Trek by writing an episode of Futurama, which featured the original cast. And he effectively wrote a Star Trek episode on Futurama and then Mm -hmm. got to write for Star Trek. (laughs) This episode dropped on November 12th, 2003 and includes guest appearances by Emily Burgle, who played Bethany, Glenn Morshauer, who played McCready, the sheriff and James Parks, who plays deputy Bennings. What was the world like on November 12th, 2003? Well, Matt, you'll remember Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul. Remember Sean Paul? Remember Mm. how for about 18 months, everybody was like, this guy's got talent. And then everybody's (laughs) like, wait a minute, let's rethink that. (laughs) And in the movie theaters, everybody was lining up for a little movie called The Matrix Revolutions. If you don't know what The Matrix Revolutions are, then you've been living in a cave. It made $48 million on its opening weekend. And on television, well, it's a continuing saga, Matt. (laughs) How did Star Trek do? Well, Enterprise pulled in about 3.9 million viewers, putting it in last place amongst all the major networks. Smallville on WB was getting almost 7 million. Ed on NBC was getting 9 million. That 70s show and A Minute with Stan Hooper were getting 8 and 6 million, respectively. A Minute with Stan Hooper which for a couple of weeks now I've been saying, I have no idea what the show is. No, nope. I just coincidentally happened to be watching something on YouTube and the algorithm was spitting out old David Letterman clips. Uh-huh. And among the clips were his interview with the star of a minute with Stan Hooper, Norm Macdonald. This is a Norm uh-huh. Macdonald property uh-huh. that I had zero memory of. Yeah. But in that little interview on YouTube, I was like, the algorithm has provided. Thank you. Algorithm. <laughs> On 60 Minutes, 12 million million viewers turned in to watch two stories, which I believe are unrelated. I hope so, because the two stories are Boys Starved in Adoptive Homes and The Grateful Dead. (laughs) And on ABC, 11 million viewers tuned in for My Wife and Kids, 10 million for It's All Relative. And I'm not going to bother Googling It's All Relative. 
I imagine it's not about physics. It is instead about something having to do with people who are related to one another. I have zero memory of that program as well. And from the New York Times, well, it's the continuing struggle for Iraq, a U.S. aid in Iraq in urgent talks at the White House by Richard Stevenson in the New York Times on November 12th. L. Paul Bremer III, the American administrator in Iraq, made a hurried return to Washington on Tuesday as Bush administration officials held an urgent round of meetings to discuss ways of speeding up the transfer of power to Iraqis. The meetings reflected dissatisfaction with the pace of progress in Iraq and a growing conviction that Mr. Bremer must abandon his methodical plan to move gradually toward the election of an Iraqi government over a year or two, officials said. As President Bush gave a Veterans Day speech vowing to stabilize Iraq, Officials, including Vice President Dick Cheney, Defense Secretary Rumsfeld, Secretary of State Powell, and Condoleezza Rice, the National Security Advisor, huddled with Mr. Bremer in the White House Situation Room to plot ways of speeding the transfer of sovereignty. Also in the news at this time, turmoil in the John Kerry campaign. He was already running for president. He would, of course, become the Democratic Party's nominee for the presidency in 2004, but at this time, it was becoming known that one of his key advisors who had been a part of Edward Kennedy's staff for years was beginning to be seen as toxic and impossible to work with and was driving people from the Kerry campaign. There was also the ongoing debate on guns, specifically issues around AR-15 fully auto assault rifles. And of course, we all know that that debate has not concluded even all these years later. Yeah, I wanted to share that article about Iraq because I think it demonstrates a couple of things. There was the attack on 9-11. There was then the growing drumbeat to go to war in Iraq in response to 9-11, despite the fact there was no connection between the two. And now there is the hurried, let's get out of here. And it is reflective of what's been going on in this season of the show, which is picking up on the ideas of don't rush forward too quickly and carry out acts that you might regret shortly after making them. That has Mm -hmm. been the ongoing theme as we're seeing Archer slowly come to terms with the reality that not every Zindi he is meeting is in fact an enemy and questioning how do I carry out a mission, which is about putting off an attack that in some sense is to stop us from doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was just in the air in 2003. We see now Paul Bremer being pulled back in order to speed up a transition that he had laid out as a one to two year plan. It would be less than a year later that they would ratify an Iraqi constitution and claim that the Iraqis were now in charge less than a year. Think about that, that the speed of that is dizzying to say we invaded in March and by the summer of 2004, in preparation for running for reelection, the Bush administration wanted to be able to say, look, we did it. We're done. Yep. So having said all of that about how this episode, how this season is reflected in the news of the day, we then move on to an episode which has Zero connection to anything that I just talked about. I will jump to production notes before we get into this episode. Okay. 
as I mentioned before, David Goodman had previously written episodes for Enterprise. He wrote Judgment. He wrote Precious Cargo. He also wrote the future episode, Futurama episode where no fan has gone before. <clears throat> he said of this episode, which was inspired by the original series episodes, A Piece of the Action and Patterns of Force, he was basically challenged by Rick Berman to write a story about a parallel earth that featured original series elements. He would be following effectively Gene Roddenberry's Bible for the original Star Trek, which the original pitch of Star Trek was, it's going to be like a wagon train to the stars. You're going to see this starship visiting planets where they will meet other humans who have evolved in different ways from our own. So this episode is compared at one point in the notes that I found that there are three times in Star Trek where the old West is utilized as the setting you have. Mm -hmm the uh original series episode where they end up in the wyatt earp story mm -hmm. you have a fistful of datas where on the next generation the holodeck malfunctions and inserts a recreation of data as all the major characters in a wharf and his son storyline yep and you have this and this i think falls into the fistful of data's camp as opposed to the original series camp where the first go around with the old West in the original series is almost like a stage play. And it is masterful storytelling in the form of the experience of the old West is not literal. It is a metaphor that is created because of a alien force that is using the human's own history against yeah. them, effectively using humans history as the litmus for what kind of people are you this is just straight up old original series and not great original series storytelling from my perspective oh, don't, don't don't get me started sean it's this episode <laughs> left me with such a meh because i felt like for what it was it was well done but what it was, I felt shouldn't have been done. It was out of place. Yeah. Had no connection to anything. It felt like somebody on a, what's a really good season. It felt like somebody slammed on the brakes and turned the wheel hard to the left. And it was just like a screeching wheels. <laughs> we're going on the curve. It's like, wait, where are we going? Yeah. What's happening? It, I did not understand why they did this. My biggest problem was okay so the original series masterfully done the uh data episode with the wharf and the sun thing i don't like that episode yeah um but it made sense because it's on the holodeck the holodeck is miss you know going wrong so it's like very easy to explain what's happening yeah this made no logical sense in any way shape or form how would you put the old west into a different planet and 300 years things don't change at all yeah where'd all the horses come from like <laughs> did the yeah. aliens bring the horses with them why would they do that yes <laughs> that makes no sense there's so much wrong with the logic behind this that my brain just never clicked into the episode and the other major issue for why i never clicked with this was it it just started. It's like you're just you're suddenly there. Yeah. There's no connection as to how did the Enterprise find this planet? 
why did they even stop to investigate it? Like none of that is ever explained, which yeah. is why it feels so out of context for what's going on this season. I don't understand why uh, Berman would have challenged him to even write this episode without any connection or through line to what's actually been happening. Because because of that, it was just like, like, like you said, it wasn't poorly executed. Like the actual acting is really good. The yeah. beat to beat moments are very good. There is enjoyment to be had in the episode. But for me, that did not override my biggest complaint, which was why the hell are we even seeing this right now? Yeah, it just made no sense. It feels very dated and it feels dated in a 1960s way. Yeah. It feels like a bad episode of the original series. The original series did stuff like this, where it was mm -hmm. they go to the gangster planet. Why is it a gangster planet? Well, they had a copy of a book about gangsters. And as these people evolved, they thought it was like a Bible and they used it as the template for their their society. They also had the well, we've gone to ancient Rome and it turns out, well, it's not actually ancient Rome. What it is, is a planet that evolved like ancient Rome, but it continued to be Rome as the power center throughout history. So there are TV shows and they have gladiatorial combat as the main form of entertainment on TV. Mm -hmm. And like, well, the original series did a better job of contextualizing those than this does. And this goes with the, a bunch of humans were kidnapped. And as you just pointed out, the humans were kidnapped by more advanced people that still needed slave labor to do what exactly farming like mm -hmm. these the skagarans are described as being the kidnappers so they have all of that tech to travel faster than light in space but they need slaves because of labor i like and there wouldn't be alone, some closer species to yeah take? like and they've <laughs> taken them from earth all this distance to crash on a planet as a result of a revolt that then the humans somehow have the technology to continue to manufacture weapons and guns and they've brought their horses and instead of cobbling together a new society that then evolves in a wildly different way than the old west they just live permanently in the old west it would have made more sense if it was a modern old west like if yes. it, it was it had elements of this is very old westerny but it's like yes. different Yes. <laughs> if it had but been, if it had looked like a evolved form of the old West where old West justice was still carried out yes, and there was still a second class citizen. But then, then when you get into the second class citizen of it all, it starts to become very muddled because who's the villain here? What are they saying about societal problems? Effectively, they are saying you can't blame people taken for slaves for the revolt, but you cannot also blame like everybody sucks here in a way. Like it's like the but former slave masters yeah. are now being mistreated and everybody is saying, well, you can't treat the son for the sins of the father, but it's unclear as to, like initial motives and all of that seem to put everybody on the side of, well, there's 
a both sideism here that feels confusing. And then they introduce the idea of commingling of the two species. So that's a question of like, well, are any of these humans fully human? And that, that element doesn't go anywhere. And the history that is being taught is by the end of it, it's a good thing there is no prime directive because they just fully blow up this culture by providing them with yeah. every bit of history post the old West. So it's not like this ends with the enterprise having a, well, they've got a culture here. We shouldn't monkey around with their culture. It is just full blown. We walk in and we've just decided these people are wrong. We're just going to fix all of this. And eventually yeah. the statement is even made. We will come back eventually and make sure and you are you. taken back to earth what you would yeah. take people who effectively are living like it's the 1800s back to 2150 earth it would never work what it would be a mistake I mean, like statements like that that just seem like this was written for it almost feels like this was written from the perspective of well let's make this a kid's show it almost felt more like a, a kid show than a anything. Morning cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we can say things that don't make logical sense, but because it's for a less nuanced, a less sophisticated viewer, they're not going to question these things. And I found myself sitting there thinking the actors are all doing a pretty good job here. Scott Bakula does a really interesting turn as a cowboy that really yeah. made me think, I wish he had done more as a cowboy. Like I wish okay. that there was something where he played that kind of, cause he has a Gary Cooperish quality to him. And I'm like, he really does carry that sort of like the swagger of, I don't have a badge, but everybody looks at me and they recognize I'm on the right side of this argument. And he's got to that kind of quality. Can I add to that for him specifically? There was one moment with him in the, the shootout at the end. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that is bad ass. Like the firing starts and like, Starts getting kicked up and everybody around Archer like ducks and starts like, whoa. And all he does is just turn around with a swagger and start walking forward. Yeah. Like, come it's at very me, bro. Gary Cooper. Was, yeah. yeah, it was very Gary Cooper of like, this doesn't scare me at all. Yeah. And he just turns around and, and confronts it. And I was like, okay, that just that moment was awesome. Yeah. I loved his, he chewed the scenery a bit. I still really enjoyed his performance. And one of the things I got the biggest laugh out every time he was on camera was his Guns N' Roses slash hat, hat that he was wearing. <laughs> it was so over the yeah. top and yeah. bananas. And I was like, I love that they had him just like over the top caricature, not even in his just performance, but the way he was dressed. It's just mm -hmm. like, I just, I like that aspect of it, which to me ties back to that Saturday morning cartoon comment that you brought yeah. up of. There's a lot of felt very here. larger than life. It felt very not realistic and mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that other mm -hmm. than the lack of the problem with this. It, it doesn't fit logically into anything that's been going on. Yeah. And another thing, like when we talked about the, uh, the data episode with the haywire holodeck, they don't have replicators at this point on yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. And yet they They're show up in around. full yeah. <laughs> garb. It's like, you wouldn't have come with Western garb on this trip, which means you made that. Yeah. How much leather do you happen to have there? How much like, canvas do you happen to have yeah. on board the ship how they make six How long shooters. Did it take to manufacturers and where do the guns come from like trip uses a gun to trade for basically loaning a horse and it was mm -hmm. like where did you get the gun yeah it's like did you just manufacture that in engineering it's like yeah. well that makes no sense it's like yeah. there was just so much like you just had to really just kind of 
turn your brain off and just there's go with it. There's a ton. Yeah, there's a ton that just doesn't make logical sense. And it is completely outside the Zindi storyline. It feels like yeah. a complete derailment of what has been a pattern of well-integrated and very interesting episodes, particularly last week's episode, which I continue to think is one of the sharpest that they've had in a while. And mm-hmm. then this feels like it comes out of nowhere. It may in fact have been a cost saving episode because the set that this is filmed on is on the universal lot and it has been used countless times. Every time I see this old West town, I recognize it. It's been used in movies and TV shows for decades. It is, if my notes are correct, it is the most used set ever. Mm-hmm. So, it's an existing set. It's the first time this season they went on location. They probably went out with a couple of film crews, the main cast, only three extras had speaking parts, 12 horses and shot this episode, probably fairly cheap compared to some very mm-hmm. special effects, heavy episodes from previous weeks with intense shooting sequences and schedules around primary actors, such as Bacula, who would have to be like in the previous episode, your primary guy is involved in every single shot. And when you have that kind of extensive shooting with one actor, it gets more and more expensive because it has to stretch out over days as opposed to, well, we've got three different storylines, each with a different actor. So we can all shoot those on the same day. And then yep. we're not going to cross over each other with this, with this season, Bacula is almost on screen all the time. And as a result, those other episodes are probably a lot more expensive and take longer. Whereas this looked like, well, maybe a bit of a mental break for the crew. Yeah. A bit of a mental break for the actors to be able to say, hey, this is kind of fun. We're all dressed up like cowboys and doing an Old West story. Straight up to the shootout at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't care about modern medicine. I don't care about future medicine. I don't care how many leeches Flox has. (laughs) <laughs> Archer's shoulder is destroyed yes. by that shot at the end of the episode. And gross, it was man. violent and gross, and it included a blood pack. I think somebody in the special effects crew got a little overzealous in two ways. First, in how big the explosion out of his shoulder is. And second, where it's located. It basically looks like it shot the joint out. Yes. His arm wouldn't function right after that. And I, after seeing that, I was just like, Oh, and <laughs> immediately thought, well, he's not recovering from that. That's not. <laughs> and then of course he gets involved in a fist fight and uses that arm. It doesn't cause a problem, but ultimately the derailment from this episode is strangely okay from the entertainment value of the episode i ended up watching it and feeling like well i'm entertained like yes and even as cartoonish (laughs) as it gets all the elements that matt talked about it's cartoonish from another perspective which is everything is so on the nose you got the school teacher who's got the heart of gold she's just trying to teach children who nobody wants to be taught and you've got the nefarious deputy and you've got the sheriff who makes the statement For years, you have been abusing your power as a deputy. This sheriff is not a good sheriff. (laughs) If he's let his deputy run riot over the town, it is full of mustache twirling. It is full of, 
well, darn shucks, I've just got to do the right thing. Like it is so much of that. And yet I sat there at the end of it and I was just like, all right, even right up to the end, I will admit the story ends with the schoolroom and the teacher is relying on the notes from a data pad that she has been left with all of the history that she doesn't know to teach Mm -hmm. to these kids about earth. And as she's talking, she says, who wants to see a picture of the plane that the Wright brothers flew? And the sheriff is standing in the door he raises and his he hand. raises his hand because he wants to see it too. And part of me thought, ah, yeah. and I was like, it's a well so, written episode from that perspective. It is a poorly conceived episode overall. It is one like, that, as I said before, <laughs> it sh- shouldn't have been made, but it was, it almost, and let me know if you agree with this. It felt like fan fiction, really, really good fan fiction. Yeah. No, it was goofy fun. I don't have a problem with the episode as itself. I have a problem with the episode in context with what the hell is going on with the show. It was just a hard left turn. Yeah. It would have been better if they had framed this as somebody's fever dream. It could have been like Archer. They they went to a planet and there was some leech that got on him and he was like unconscious. And this was some weird fever dream he had. Mm-hmm. It's like that would have made sense why all these logical issues would just be explained away like that. It's like they could have done something that would have yeah. made it a little more palatable. And it's like feel they like wanted to make a holodeck episode, but they didn't have a holodeck. Bingo. But it's also Rick Berman basically standing up and going, are you not entertained? Yes. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like, okay, I was entertained, but I did not like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was entertained, but please, that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> so listeners, let us know. Do you agree with us this episode didn't really fit. Do you also agree with us that while it didn't fit, it was kind of fun, like yeah. a jacket that you really like the design of, but it's way too short in the sleeve. Or do you disagree with either of those? Do you think that we're off our rack or this is a perfect episode and you, you loved every minute of it? Let us know, go into the comments. You can reach out through the contact information in the podcast description, or you can jump into the comments on YouTube. And Matt, next time we're going to be talking about the episode similitude. Any predictions? Or do you have to look up the word similitude? No, I know what it means, but I'm like, I I was trying to come up with a joke and couldn't come up with it. Yeah. Imagine that, folks. Here's another challenge for our listeners. Come up with a good pun about similitude. Yes. Yes. Drop it in the comments below. And before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you have coming up in your other podcasts that you wanted to share with the listeners? Uh, not, it's not right away, but coming up soon, I'm doing a breakdown on Undecided about the difference between passive house net zero homes and retrofitting an existing home and which path might be better. I'm doing this because I'm building net zero home and one of my good friends mm. is retrofitting his. And so it's kind of a, it's like, which way is the better path? Mm. It should be fun. I would choose a passive aggressive home. As for me, you can check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You can find out information about my books there, or you can just go directly to a bookseller like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or your local bookstore. All of my books are available through them and keep an eye out for future news regarding my new series, which will be coming out next year. The sinister secrets of singe, which is a book for younger readers, but should be fun for the whole family, especially if you like robots that destroy things and kids who say, why am I always in trouble? 
And if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever it was that you listened to this. Go back there and leave a review, leave a like, remind your friends about the show. And if nothing else, you can click on the Become a Supporter button. You can throw coins at us. And when you do that, you also become a cadet, which means you get access to our spinoff show, Out of Time, where we talk about things, sometimes Trek, sometimes not, but usually things that are things we're enjoying currently that don't fit within the context of this program. So check us out, help support us, and you can check that out. All of those ways really do help support the show. Thank you so much for taking your time and spending it with us. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.